how to get extraordinary results through the power of coaching with volunteer organizations. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Hi, Rory. Paul, it is great to be here. Thank you, my friend. I'm glad you're here. Glad and to we today are going to listen in on a conversation you had with right. uh, someone who is a proven coach, right? Absolutely. A friend of mine named Jack Mack. We have known each other for many, many years. He's got great experience with uh, consumer experience in, the, in, in various organizations, and he teaches that and consults with that. Uh, but he actually tells a story today when he was leading a volunteer organization uh, with called Toastmasters okay. and using the coaching techniques and coaching models to truly get extraordinary results. Um, he was the district president. They typically had about 100 people that would come to the district uh, meeting. He decided he wanted to blow the doors off and triple that, which just seems hard to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but by using these techniques and finding the right people, putting them in the right place, finding the right questions to ask them, to inspire them to go forward, uh, he did, in fact, get uh, three times the results. So that's the great thing about coaching. If you use these techniques, you can truly leverage the resources you have to get much greater results. I, I find these conversations really interesting because you've kind of moved into focusing on coaching mm -hmm. and saying this is the way to really have your organization move its to potential. And you're talking with all these people who help businesses all the time who are mm -hmm. learning it themselves. Right. And and they're using the techniques to get better results than their, than their competitors. Mm -hmm. And so that's the power of this technique. Uh, I truly believe if I were a CEO again today and somebody said, you only have one management technique that you could use, it would in fact be coaching. Because with coaching, I could take care of everything else. Um, but if they took that away from me, it'd be very, very difficult to get the results that I see a lot of people doing, and uh, and that's the great thing about the story that Jack shares here, is he tells a story about he wanted to boost results, and he used the power of questions and interaction to make it happen. All right, well, here's your conversation with Jack Mackey. So, Jack, I can I say thank you enough for being here, but tell me a little about the last few years been working in the customer experience, uh, big data, helping organizations take that data and determine how to deliver that experience, and so kind of give me a little background of that. Sure, right. and thanks for inviting me. Happy to have you here. We haven't talked together for a while. So Absolutely. We'll get reconnected here. So, well, customer experience became hugely popular uh, over the last 15 years, and during that time I was just fortunate to get involved with a company that was kind of a pioneer in, in measuring the customer experience mm -hmm. and then using the feedback from customers to uh, improve the experience naturally. And mm -hmm. then this whole artificial intelligence field came up at the same time and by t taking customer feedback and using that as the big data, if you will, mm -hmm. we're able to provide people with you know, simple dashboards and things that would let employees at l different locations, mm -hmm. not just senior people, the, the executives in the company, but the people who actually do the main work in every location. Right. We're able to give them feedback that was sort of instant, reliable, and we'd give them priorities like these are the best things to focus on, these are the right. best days of the week to focus on, things mm -hmm. like that. And so, yeah, I had a, a blast doing that. I spent uh, 15 years as the chief evangelist of that area. I kind of led the... <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was very honored to be given that title. Well, but, yeah, that, that's what I uh, was doing for the last several years. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And we actually met in Toastmasters. That's how you and I met. And uh, then 
you know, through the years we had to took different directions. You actually took a leadership role in Toastmasters. Yes, well, and, and for people, I think everybody knows something about Toastmasters, right. but I don't know if everybody knows that the kind of the deliberate mission or purpose of Toastmasters is to help people develop communication and leadership skills. Right. And they, it's, it's a very practical approach because mm-hmm. to, how do you develop leadership skills? Well, you've got a club of 20 members and the club manages itself. Right. No trainer comes in from the outside. Right. So you, you develop leadership skills by actually leading club meetings and hiring officers or not hiring them, I should say, but uh, right. electing them. And then you develop the communication skills because, mm-hmm. of course, it's best known for public speaking. Mm-hmm. And you get better at public speaking by practicing. Right. But then the reason you need a club is you have to have an audience. Right. That's not real. You can't practice public speaking to the mirror. Right. And so that's that's the advantages of Toastmasters, and that's by definition they uh, they select their leaders all the way up. The, and it's kind of think like a Rotary Club. Right. So every town's got a couple of Rotary Clubs. Those mm-hmm. Rotary Clubs are aggregated into a district or some other intermediate mm-hmm. group. But ultimately, there's Rotary International. I, right. And, and and those are all volunteer unpaid leaders. Right. So, yeah, I did get involved in that. And <laughs> I chuckled about it because for years and years, I, I didn't get involved because I said I was too busy. And then I discovered one, one time in a sort of a moment of self-enlightenment, I said, when anybody says they're too busy, it's a great way to rationalize, I don't really know if I'm up for any more growth Right now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. My wife's got a great saying. She says, rationalization is the aspirin of mental health. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, that's a, a kind of a story that led us to decide to kind of have its meeting. Because right. Uh, you have many leadership experiences, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's a for-profit organization or a football team or a customer experience insights right. organization, right? And so I remember when we were first talking about it, I, I I had an experience that I think fits in really well with an audience that like mm-hmm. yours that wants to get better at coaching, right? So, uh, and I didn't do any, any of the, what I'm going to tell you, I did not do this because I thought of myself as a coach. I was just trying to get the job done right. in, a, in a leadership position. So mm-hmm. first of all, I have, there's much like the Rotary organization. So Toastmasters is aggregated into districts. The districts have about a hundred clubs. The clubs have about 20 members each. Right. And, and so weekly or so the clubs meet, that's how they develop their skills. Right. The leadership skills are at a higher level, you aggregate a bunch of clubs, a bunch more people, bigger meetings, bigger audiences, bigger right. opportunities. And the district governor, which mm-hmm. is what my role was, mm-hmm. my job is to just get a team of volunteers that will actually do that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd been in the organization a while. I knew people, and I, I asked the people that I trusted the most to step up and help with, with certain roles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and in my training as a district governor, I came to become aware that there was this one district mm-hmm. that was constantly getting 300 plus people to come to their district conference. Well, right. I, I had been in the one here in the Kansas City area, and we never got more than maybe 115 or 20. Right. And I, I so I got to actually meet the people who achieved this higher goal, and they told me kind of how they did it and some of the right. details. And so. I got all excited about it, and I had the first meeting of everybody who had already agreed to volunteer, and I, mm-hmm. I said, hey, 
I, I heard about this. Right. And I got excited about it. And I'd, I'd like to, for us to establish our goal is we're going to, we're not just going to hold a conference. We're going right. to hold the, the largest, most successful, three times the business we've ever done at a conference before. And everybody was excited, but scared. Right. And this one fella, Reserved Charlie, enthusiasm. That's reserved right. Reserved enthusiasm. Exactly. Yeah, reserved enthusiasm. Well, there was one fellow who had volunteered to chair the conference. The title, that was what we gave to the title. The person that actually had to go out and get the, the facilities okay. and manage the whole operations, not the marketing, right? but the, the operations. So Charlie had offered to do this, and I, I gave this talk about getting this extraordinary group to attend. And the, we had scheduled a meeting the next day. He and I were going to go out and look at, at hotels. Mm-hmm. And and right before we set on our trip, he called me up and he said he he kind of had second thoughts. This just seemed like it might be a little bit bigger deal than he thought he was comfortable getting into. Right. And he, he said, I just don't know if I'm going to be your man for this. Well, years later, we laughed about it together, and I said, I don't know, Charlie, exactly what I said to you. But I think what I just did was pretend I didn't hear you say. <laughs> I couldn't do this. You're not going to do this. So I said, well, we're already scheduled to go pick, look over these hotels. I said, come on, ride with me. I'll, I'll pay. So we, we go to the hotels. Well, as we enter the hotels, naturally we meet the people that are the meeting planners. And right. so our conversations instantly go to the very practical issues like, well, how many people are you going to have? And what size of rooms are you going to need? And what mm-hmm. events are you going to have besides, uh, you know, a, a general session? Oh, right. we're going to have breakout sessions. Oh, mm-hmm. how many of those? Oh, what about food? Is there, is there going to be any food? What, what's... And, and what rooms are those going to be in? And so as Charlie starts to hear all this, he pulls out a clipboard. And he's one of the few guys, that, this is, was back 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few guys that pulls out a clipboard. Mm-hmm. He starts taking notes and writing things down. He starts asking his own questions. And he's been to conferences before. Sure. And so now, little by little, I can just sense in him that he's not just waiting for our morning to be over. He's actually starting to pay attention and think about uh, this isn't really all that complicated. It's mm-hmm. just a question of making sure you know that the hotel can or can't do the job. Mm-hmm. And so as we went from each hotel, we debrief after each one. And by the end of the morning, I asked him what he thought we should recommend to the committee and mm-hmm. what, what our decision was, what his decision was. Mm-hmm. And so then that ended up going from a, I want to quit this job to by the end of it, he had, he had really bought into it. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, I naturally, I would stay in touch with him. He would take care of, the progress on that, mm-hmm. and that that enabled me to take complete focus and put it on the marketing mm-hmm. and the team that I had recruited to do the marketing because you're right. not going to go from 100 to 300 plus without marketing. Right. And uh, to, to shine it all off, uh, or to kind of cut to the chase, what happened was we got 330 some people to come to this. We had the most successful conference ever in terms of exposing Toastmasters and leadership opportunities in Toastmasters above the club level mm-hmm. to more people than ever before. We had people compete at the speech contest in bigger audiences than they never competed in before. So we, we set out to accomplish everything 
for the benefit of the members, and mm-hmm. it was a, a, just a phenomenal success. And and as I as I think back on it, mm-hmm. not only did that reflect fantastically on Charlie's skills and give him a right. personal goal to obtain, but because I was able to truly delegate that to him and mm-hmm. trust him with that, mm-hmm. I could focus 100% on the marketing mm-hmm. and the marketing team. So we were able to fill the seats that we had promised to sit because mm-hmm. we had to commit to the hotel right for space. Right. And so we were all able to really develop and improve our leadership and communication skills at a higher level than we had ever done before. I, I love it. And the thing that you did that I think is really remarkable there is you focused on Charlie's strengths. And Charlie's strengths are incredibly detail-focused. And once he got into it, you could kind of see him just kind of blossom. Mm-hmm. I just love the way you describe it. You can see him blossom. He's getting into details. He's blossoming. He's going after that. And so what led you to recognize that as his strength, and how did you select him? Out of all the people you could have selected, how did, how did you select him to pick that role? Yes, well, my recollection of Charlie was, for a Toastmaster, he's relatively introverted. Okay. And, but as you pointed out, what he, what he had that was so clear was he was very detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. Having a clipboard, I mean, sure. Right. So I just had that feeling, and then we became sort of friendly the way you do with members of an association you're sure. part of. And it was just my perception that this is a guy that, and he, oh, he was also doing claims adjusting for insurance companies. That was his job. <laughs> so I thought, this guy, he, 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 he knows the details. He knows the details. So that's what my, my judgment was. Uh, and I had had a couple of years to look him over and, mm-hmm. and just, so I can't say that I had a checklist of my own and I said, what does a person need to, be able to do in order to chair the conference. But it's almost that yin and yang process too. You knew that you couldn't do the details, that you needed to be big, focused on the bigger picture, the marketing, that, that aspect of it. And because that's one of your strengths is more visionary, more focused on the bigger mm-hmm. picture. Right. He, you had to have him to be detail oriented. And so for managers that are listening to this this morning or whenever they're listening to it, they've got to recognize that they have to be focused on what they're, what, what's important to them. But then find those people that complement them where they might not be that strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't want to say that details was your weakness, but your focus was elsewhere. So that didn't become such a high priority. But for Charlie, details was a high priority. So, you know, just give me your, your thoughts on, you know, the, you focusing the big picture, him focusing the details, and how you work together on that to, you know, to make the most successful conference ever. Well, I think it's, Charlie was just one member of the team. Okay. So... The, one of my biggest learnings in that organization was the bigger the events, the opportunities, the size of the challenges, the bigger it gets, Right. the less likely the leader can or should even be thinking about trying to run everything him or herself. Mm. First of all, it, it plays havoc with your family life. If you take it, this is a volunteer. This is on top of all my regular work right. responsibilities and Charlie's and everybody else's. Right. So first of all, if you want to have any kind of work-life balance, you've got to let go of this idea that you have to be the smartest per- person in the room. You have to be on top of everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that what I was able to do for, for Charlie was I was able to show him that, yes, you can promise the hotels, these numbers of people, and, and you can schedule the contract around that and commit us to paying money for that. Right. And we'll talk about that as we go down the road, so I'm not just throwing you in the deep end of the sea here. Right. And by the way, I used to be in the hospitality business, mm-hmm. so I'm 
ultra more aware of event planning and management than my regular job might indicate. Mm -hmm. So I was able to be a sounding board for him, but there's really no questions there that he couldn't answer himself because sure. they're very straightforward questions. How many people are you going to have? What are you going to do? What facilities do you need? And, and so, what meals you provide? All of that. Yeah. So I just feel like the the thing for Charlie was for him to know that he was he was in charge of this. I trusted him. That's why I selected him. Mm -hmm. And and here it was going. It was and as we would go forward, I would say this is working out just the way I mm -hmm. I knew it would with you in charge of this. Charlie, because you're all on top of it. We're not going to miss any deadlines. We're going to do our part. And I just can't tell you how much that freed me to be able to give him genuine positive feedback, encouragement, appreciation. And those, these are all, you know, spill anatomy like mm -hmm. the most naturally mm -hmm. it could happen. I didn't have to sit down and say, hey, remember to appreciate this guy. Like right. it, was, it was just there. And in turn, I said that that enabled me to do the best job I possibly could on, on the marketing. So... I would truly say that leaders work for their people mm -hmm. every bit as much as the people work for the leaders or for the goals established by the leader or imposed on the organization or the workforce by circumstances. And that's a, that's probably one of the best lessons I've ever had. Yeah, that truly that servant leadership concept. If you truly are a servant leader, then you build that connection, that trust, that relationship with folks. But the two things I think that are really important for me observing it and hearing the story is number one, you're willing to put your ego aside and and not be, you know, not be the smartest guy in the room and not be the and I think that in in doing that, how did that help you to lead more effectively? Number one, to be aware of that, mm -hmm. but then to consciously put that aside. Because a lot of leaders need to be number one aware of their ego, but then consciously put that aside to let their team shine. So what you know, was there any strategies or techniques that you used for that? Well, I was probably late 30s or mm -hmm. early 40s. Mm -hmm. So I probably was guilty of everything <laughs> you just described there <laughs> early in my you know, early in my leadership career. But I've had other people tell me that the reason that they think it, it, working with me was a good experience is that number one I, I, I came to realize from actual experience that I needed these people mm -hmm. that it wasn't it, I wasn't doing them a favor and this would be true in my work life as well right. as my personal life but I, I just came to realize that over time that if I would if I would respect people's potential Mm -hmm. and treat them for the potential that I saw in them, mm -hmm. that they would enjoy working with me. Right. And then I also had, I don't know, my work style was always more informal. I never relied on intimidation. I saw that blow up in too many people's faces. I didn't like it. In fact, I actually can tell you that it was my job in hospitality where I worked with chefs and, and they have a horrible reputation. And back in the 70s, and it mm -hmm. was really bad. And I literally saw guys chasing each other around the kitchen with knives. <laughs> and, it, it, and, I said, and I just said to myself, I will never act that way. Right. I will never be that kind of a leader. I, will, I just won't do it. It's just terrible. 
So I think that was the uh, lesson that sometimes a bad example right. is as powerful as a good example, or maybe more so because you just, I'm, I'm not going to let myself talk like that or act like that, or mostly not even think like that. Right. That's the main problem. If you find yourself thinking, one chef I worked for, he literally, this is what he said to me. He said, Jack, all we need is eight pairs of hands and my brain. <laughs> And he wasn't kidding. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's where his ego was. He was the smartest guy in the room, and he was going to tell everybody how to do it. Yeah. But but he also probably recognized over time, and you knew that inherently, that that becomes very tiring. Mm-hmm. To tell people what to do becomes very tiring. That's why coaching is so powerful, because what you're trying to do is is get them to understand the process and get them to understand the the uh, what's the goal of the organization. And, and so the two things that you talked about there were ego and trust, putting your ego aside and not leading like that, but also trusting your team. And then that trust and that relationship really helped build the team to the highest level possible. And you were to get better results, three times better than ever been done before mm-hmm. because of that process. And I just think that's so important. So you focus on the strengths. You delegated very effectively. You gave them the task that they had to do. And, and the key is... But you also, in coaching, you're asking questions. And the thing that you did is, I think it's great in the story, is you said to Charlie, hey, of these three hotels, what do you think? And when when we talked on the phone, you just said, it was almost like he just, the light switch went on. When you asked that question, he just started, boom. Yeah. And that was, he was in his element. Yeah. And I think that's the key of great leadership is discovering people's strengths and then asking that right question at the right time to really let that person blossom. And you could almost see him, you could almost see the lights come on. Yeah, yeah, that was such a fulfilling experience too. Because remember, I said, "Here's a claims adjuster, introverted, mm-hmm. uh, always worried about money, which is right. what I wanted." Also, in somebody right. here, and right. and it was just I smiled so much uh, to myself as things went. I thought, "This is so great that this is working out." Couldn't be, in, couldn't have worked out any better. Right. And I, I had the opportunity, I guess, to experience this guy's skills in in his efforts and on, on top of this on a volunteer basis right uh, it was just it was a real privilege it was one of those situations where when it all was over and we had you know kind of our wrap-up meetings and stuff and mm-hmm. I was you know in the process of sort of formally thanking people and writing thank you notes and right. recognizing them you know at a group event and it was just, it was a real fantastic feeling. I, I just uh, remember this last uh, football season here in Kansas City when Andy Reid had to get up, and it was a tough ending to the year. You know, right. like they make it to the edge of this, going to the Super Bowl and don't make it. Right. And the way he, st- the way he was able to genuinely talk about the the efforts that people made and the successes that they had and what they did achieve as opposed to what they didn't achieve. Right. I just felt like. Uh, I really understood that that's that's the the payoff of leadership. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. It's, it's not the title. It's certainly not the extra hours that you work. It's the right. it's the appreciation of of people and the benefit that when they say they're working for you, I mean they really mean that. They're not working for right the organization. Right. <laughs> they're working for you. Right. And I think there's. I'm sure you know as a professional in this area that. You know, people don't leave organizations, they leave bosses. That's right. So before you start talking about becoming the most outstanding leader you could ever be, it's good to stop, talk about making sure you're not a terrible leader. 
Right. And that's kind of, I had that lesson <laughs> that I told you about. So I think you got to realize the position you're in vis-a-vis other people is you got a great chance there to benefit yourself and your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to have, I think you got to be aware that it's, it's, it's easy to screw that up. Mm-hmm. And because uh, we've seen a lot of bad examples in our lives and we might not deliberately, we just might not, mm-hmm. it might not be our best self, as they say these days. <laughs> right. We might not have our best day. And so you've made a point a couple times about how, you know, did I observe this or think this or what made me believe that? And, and I have to admit that um, the questions you've asked me have caused me to talk about this in a different way maybe than I would have mm-hmm. If someone hadn't asked me any questions about it, I just said, Jack, tell us everything you know about leadership. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, as I become older and I've just become enamored with the coaching process, and the coaching process is focused on asking questions. And that's why you were successful in this. You asked yourself the question, who to pick, uh, what role should they play, what's their strengths. Uh, then you asking Charlie at the right time, you know, Charlie, what hotel would you pick and how would you handle it? All of those questions led to a successful uh accomplishment of your goal of mm-hmm. getting three times the number of people there that you wanted to. Right. That That's the key, and that's the, the power of, of, of coaching, and it's the power of questions. And as I get older, um, it's less about, as I get older, it's less about me telling somebody something. It's more about me asking questions and drawing it out of them. What's, what's that marvelous thing inside them that they can release, you know? Being that somebody that makes everybody feel like a somebody, mm-hmm. and questions will will let you do that. Yeah, and and that's what I love about this process. So, in, in all of that, obviously you're able to put your ego aside. You, you're able to trust your folks, things like that. But what's the ultimate lesson that you would like to leave folks with as they're listening to this podcast today? What's that one thing that you say uh, that you learned about this whole thing? I think you have to truly believe in your people. Mm-hmm. And I still remember I learned that from, a, a, I was in a seminar or, or some similar event. I was in the audience of a leadership training program. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I ever heard somebody even bring that up. You have to believe in your people. The first supervisory training that I ever had was in, you know, you have, you have to control. Right. You have to hold people accountable. Right. You know, then you have to have goals. Those are, those are all things you will get fired if you don't, you know. Right. Do, the, do those things, but it never occurred to me. You actually have to believe in your people. It can't mm-hmm. just be an act, mm-hmm. and so that, that's a difficult, but crucial. That's the foundation. It's like, what kind of a person are you? Mm-hmm. Do you do you truly have the characteristics, the character to deserve to lead these people? And would, will that if you if you do, I think it will show through in the way that you behave and speak mm-hmm. and and the power of belief is very important so I, I love the story you had great success you, you the, the, the story about Charlie but three times the results too was remarkable and it's because you had a vision you wanted to do it but really what made it happen was how you work with the folks yeah there's one thing to have a vision you got to have folks that can make that vision come alive yeah and they and they can't unless they know what it is right so if, in a way if I circle back if I hadn't told them right up front Mm-hmm. I just heard about this. I, I, now, that, now that I know this is possible, why can't we do that? Wouldn't that be a blast? And so that did cause Charlie to say that I might not be able to do that. <laughs> right. But that's overcomable. But it was everybody on the team understanding, hey, this is what we're after. We're not just checking a box and getting this thing done. Right. We are going to make something happen. We're coloring outside the lines. We're not just here to be status quos of this event, status quo maintainers. 
So I think I think a challenging, exciting, inspiring, common goal mm-hmm. that enables you to ask the right questions, right? Mm-hmm. And and of course, it helps the more competent you are in the area of that you're a professional, the more you're able to figure out what what's the best question to ask. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jack, I cannot say thank you enough for being on the podcast today. These are great ideas and just a great success story. And that's what I want to hear people hear is, is the success stories, how they do it, and how they can do it more successfully. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Rory. Okay, good conversation with Jack Mackey. I love I love Jack's story. I love the way he shares it. And I love the, the way that he involved people into the success. It just wasn't about Jack and the leadership role. It was truly how he involved people in getting the results they wanted to get. It was truly a team effort. And I think as a coach, if you take a team approach and really take a team coaching prospect or a team coaching angle, uh, the results you're going to get are much, much greater. And I, that's what I love about uh, Jack's story. And, you know, they just they just blew the doors off. They got over 300 people when they typically in the past would have less than 100. And so to, to see them get triple the results by using the techniques are truly amazing. And that's what I want for the organization. That's what I want for the listeners of this podcast to get better results they're getting by using the power of coaching. Looks like you can get a hold of Jack at jackmackey.net. Mm-hmm. He's got a website up. You can contact him. But if people really want to focus on coaching, I would mm-hmm. recommend another person. <laughs> How would they get a hold of you, Rory? Absolutely. Well, uh, don't forget my friend Jack Mackey at jackmackey.net. He's a keynote speaker. He's he's excellent at it, and he's been speaking for years and yeah, years Yeah, let me throw this in here, too, because sure. you've been talking a lot. But there's really not a competition no. between only use this consultant or this speaker. It's all whatever can help for your organization, mm-hmm. and we just happen to know that coaching – it happens to work, and that's Absolutely. why it's important you tell people right now how to get hold of them. Right? <laughs> how do you? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I'm, I'm of, trying to be your hype man for I, you. Okay? Absolutely. Well, we got to do we got to yeah. do the hype. Mm-hmm. But uh, they can get a hold of me at RoryRoland.com. That's R O R Y R O W L A N D and dot uh, com. And they can also go to Coaching Manager University. That is CoachingManager.University, and that's our learning management tool. And so those are the resources that we provide for people so they can improve their coaching skills. Excellent. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com.